welcome to The View. Make some noise if you're excited. It's Monday. Yes. The world doesn't like Monday because it means school's back, but we love Monday. Mondays matter here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Welcome to The View. Uh, what you just saw in that video are a lot of our leaders here at The View. And my name is Daniel Harris. I serve here as your college pastor. And we have two other staff members. Our director, his name is Jacob, and our MA is named Dakota. You've gotten to hear from both of them this semester. Uh, we are very grateful that you're here and a part of what Paul said at the end of the video, that you're part of our family. Uh, we believe that, that the view is a place of imperfect people, but we're coming to worship the perfect God. Amen? <laughs> Amen. And so this is a place where we don't expect you to be perfect. This is not a place where we're going to be fake. This is not a place where we're going to put up a front. We want to be real with who we are, with the pain that we have. That we've been made in the image of God. And so we're thankful that you're here. We're glad you're here. And I know that this may be your first time. I've already met some of you who it is your first time. Uh, to us, you are the most important person in the room. For those of you who are here every week, aren't you glad we have first time guests in the room? Amen. <laughs> we are very thankful that you're here. And I do want to ask something of you, though. If this is your first time, I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to ask you to preach. I'm not going to ask you to sing. Um, I'm not going to sing myself. You don't want to hear that. Uh, I, what I am going to ask you, though, if this is your first time, maybe it's your second. You've been trying us out. Um, if it is, please, please stop by the entrance bar. We have a sign that says, first time guest, <coughs> and we would love to get to know you. All you'll do is you'll fill out a card. We'll give you a free gift. We'll get to meet you because uh, we want to reach out to you this week. We want to talk to you. We want to get one of our students connected with you. We'll follow you on social media. Some of you already experienced that. You came, and you got followed by The View Memphis. <laughs> you know what it is. <laughs> We're persistent. We're going to comment, glad you were here. Come back. <laughs> you know, you know, we're persistent now. <laughs> yeah. If you don't come back, it won't, because, it won't be because we didn't try. <laughs> we will try. Uh, but we're glad you're here. So please, make sure you stop by, get your gift, fill out that card. Uh, we would love to get to know you uh, tonight. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Open up with me to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. <clears throat> I was sick last week. I know my voice probably sounds a little rough. Please excuse the coughing. I was sick last week, but the Lord heals. Amen. I'm back on my feet going. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 tonight. The title of my sermon, if you're taking notes, I hope that you will write this down at the top. The title of my sermon tonight is Revival is Here. I heard someone say, yes, sir. I hope you believe it. Revival is here here. And I'm not just talking about here at The View. It's not just a View thing. I believe revival is, is happening at Bellevue Baptist Church. I believe it's happening here at other churches in Memphis. I believe it's happening right here in the city of Memphis. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. I'm excited about it because I, I look at each one of you and I see that you are on fire for Jesus Christ. You're on fire for the Lord. That is what it means to experience revival. It means when people get on fire for the Lord. And so my title tonight will be Revival is Here. And as I was thinking about how to, how to start this sermon, the only way I could think to start it was a challenge to you. And what I wrote down, the very first thing I wrote down as I wrote out this sermon, I wrote down, I wonder how many of us in here tonight, watch, truly believe God. Now notice I did not say believe in God. I said believe God. I think most of us in here would agree we believe in God's existence. We believe that he's real. I said believe God. And what I mean by when I say believe God, I wonder 
when we hear God through his word, when we hear him say things, I wonder if we believe him when he says it. I wonder if we believe God. In other words, it's, it's very quite possible to believe in God and yet not believe God. That's what lukewarm Christians experience or cold Christians. They, they believe in God, but they just don't believe what he has said is worth following. And that's not where I want us to be tonight. These were the first things that I wrote. You say, how is that possible? How is it possible to believe in God and yet not believe God? All of us in here have been to the dentist. I hope. <laughs> Some of you are like, what's that? <laughs> dentist? <laughs> it's for your teeth. And uh, we've all been to the dentist. Now, we believe that the dentist is real and certified. What does certified mean? Certified means that the dentist is qualified in a way we are not to assess our teeth and see what we need to do better of. In fact, most of us, when we go to the dentist, even believe that the dentist has our best interest at heart. But when the dentist comes in, looks at your teeth, and tells you the simple instruction, it's so simple, it takes 30 seconds a day, when he looks you in the eye and says, hey, you need to floss daily. You do what I do. You nod your head, you smile, you say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And then you never floss. <laughs> Don't act like you do. And maybe some of you in here, I'll be, very, I'll be transparent. I don't floss the way I should. Guilty. <laughs> See, for all of us, what I know to be true is that we believe God is real and certified, meaning he is qualified in a way we are not to look at our soul and then tell us what we should do better of. In fact, we even believe God probably has our best interests at heart. However, when God comes in, as he always does, and tells us that we need to do these simple instructions of praying every day, reading his word every day, sharing Jesus every day, making disciples every day, we act like we're at the dentist. Because most times we open the word, we smile, we nod, we say yes, sir, and then we simply don't do it. You see, we believe in the dentist, but we don't believe the dentist when he says you need to floss. A lot of us believe in God, but we don't believe God when he says you need to pray. You need to read your word. You need to love your neighbor. You need to do X, Y, and Z is what I'm saying tonight. God bless you. What I wrote down is I wrote down if you really respected the dentist's authority over your teeth, you'd floss deeply and floss daily. I think you see where I'm going with this. If you really respect God's authority... If I really respect God's authority, I will pray daily and I will pray deeply. If I really do. Did you know Jesus actually, I don't want to get off here too much in the intro, but you know that Jesus actually addresses this idea? Did you know that? I read this verse the other day. It hit me in the mouth. You've heard it before. This won't be new to you. Jesus says in Luke 4, Luke 6, yes, Luke 6, verse 46. It'll be on the screen. He says in the midst of a bunch of parables, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do the things that I say? Might as well be looking at you like this. So, you're going to call me Lord, but then all your actions are the opposite of it. Your mouth's going to claim I'm your Lord, but your actions are counterintuitive to that. Why would you call me, again, he's looking at you a little bit confused. Why would you call me Lord, Lord, and then live a double life? Why would you call me Lord, Lord, but then you let sin continue to lord over you when I've already told you you can experience freedom? You see, gee, I, I hit me in the mouth. Hey, if you call me Lord, do the things I say. Pray, read, love God, love people, share Jesus with them, make disciples. But we don't do it. I wrote this down too. I hope that this sticks with you a little bit because it stuck with me. I wrote, 
Your actions don't dictate whether God is the Lord, but they dictate whether he is your Lord. <laughs> Which means your actions do not change God's position in the universe. Your actions just show how you believe God's position is to you. So you and I don't have the power because we disobey. That doesn't not mean God is not on his throne. It just shows we don't believe God is on his throne to us. <laughs> hit me in the mouth. I know it's for someone tonight. It hit me in the mouth. I believe many Christians, as we go into Acts chapter 2 tonight, are trying to throw a Hail Mary in their life, but they refuse to practice a simple handoff. <laughs> I believe many Christians are trying to jump from the free throw line like Jordan and dunk or, or jump and go between the legs like Kobe in the 97 dunk contest, I think it was, right? I think they're trying to go between the legs and dunk like Kobe, but they refuse to practice a layup. Tonight, I'm going to tell you, we can't be Christians that are seeking God's call but refuse to simply pray. That's trying to jump from the free throw line. You're trying to know God's will for your whole life, but you haven't learned how to do a layup. See, the only way to jump from the free throw line to dunk is first to learn one, two, layup. The only way to know God's call for your life is to, watch this, it's cheesy, I know. Pray, read, layup, clarity, peace. It all comes to you if you do the basics. My sermon's not going to be complex tonight. <laughs> You know where I'm going tonight. You know where this train is heading. Bible reading and prayer. We have to believe God. When he says that to first experience revival externally, you know where I'm going. You and I have to experience revival internally. In our heart. We have to believe God when he says that. Now, revival, as we head into this, revival means the restoring of life. It means when God comes down and takes something that once was dead and brings it back to life. We see it all over the Bible. God continues to restore man when they repent. Remember, when you repent, God restores. It's a process. You repent, God restores. You repent, God restores. You don't repent. What we see in the Old Testament, God does not restore. And he leaves people in captivity because they won't simply admit and confess and quit their sin. The Spirit's telling me right now, whoever's in the room and hasn't repented of that sin, they need to give up. If you repent, God restores. You want to be restored? Repent. God will restore you. He'll put you back on your feet. All throughout history, revivals have started from the smallest points. They all started when a few college students decided to pray. Jeremiah Lamphere, who lived in New York City, went from praying with six people to 50,000 people in just a few months because he decided to give up his lunch break fast and pray. He gave up that which was his and then received that which was God's. <laughs> the third great awakening was led by D.L. Moody, who started a Bible study that grew so big, even Abraham Lincoln attended it, <laughs> which is wild. What they did is they, they obsessed in that awakening. They obsessed with the teaching of God. They loved the teaching of God. <laughs> they could not get over it. As I know many of you do, you love the teaching of God's word. They literally obsessed over it. Now, they were crazy Christians, though. Hear me before we get into the text. They were crazy Christians. They weren't cool Christians. You know, today we got a lot of cool Christians who move in slow motion and, and want to be seen and all these things. No, they were crazy Christians. They prayed. They, they obsessed over the word. They were a little crazy. And that's how I'm trying to be. I want to be a little bit crazy. I think Paul was a little bit crazy. <laughs> he was crazy for the gospel. He didn't mind getting in people's way for the gospel. The reason why is because they were on the way to hell. So that's a way worth getting into. Hello? Amen? Hello? We're so worried about getting in people's way. I believe that we could, and I'm just throwing out random stuff here. I believe that one day we could see the Liberty Bowl packed out with college students all worshiping the name of Jesus. 
I believe. But when I say that, people look at me like, are you kidding? Come on, man. Just be happy with, with what's going on right now. You look at our nation. <laughs> we need revival. We're in a crisis. I don't want to sound too cheesy, but in a crisis, we need Christ. <laughs> we need him to open up the heavens and come down. The question is, do you believe? I know you believe in God. Maybe a lot. There's some of you in here who don't believe in God. For those of you who are Christians who do believe in God, do you believe God? that he wants revival to continue just as he has started here at The View. I believe we're at a critical time here at Memphis, at Bellevue, and at The View. I believe God has stirred up something special in this city. I believe that this is a special place at a special time with a special group of people, and that's you. You are the special group of people. I believe God has marked you for this time, for such a time as this, to live out your faith, to use your voice, and to go share Jesus with everybody you come in contact with. I hope you believe. As we head into Acts chapter 2, we know that Christ has already ascended into heaven, and he has left the apostles to his work. But he has not left them alone. We know God never leaves us alone. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit is the power that they get to live in, the power that they get to walk in. So let's pick up. We're going to read verses 42 of the early church of what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. Look with me at verse 42 of chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. A a A lot of translations say they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You want to know the signs of a healthy church, a healthy ministry? It's those right there. Are we devoted to the teaching of God's word, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer? Everyone was filled. Look what happened when they did that. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders, and signs were being performed through the apostles. That sounds a little supernatural, doesn't it? If you don't believe in a supernatural God, you're not going to see supernatural results because you ain't looking for them. When somebody gets healed, you chalk it up to coincidence. Uh Uh-uh. We believe there's a bigger God at play here. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and properly distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Look at this in verse 46. Every day. Now I I hope I'm not misreading this. It doesn't say some days. It doesn't just say Sunday, which I know is a shock to a lot of people. It doesn't just say Sunday. It says every day. They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate, with, they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Not only were they doing the Lord's work, they had joy. They were happy. <laughs> they had peace. I know there's many in this room tonight who don't have that peace yet. You can find it. But it won't be a career. It won't be money. It won't be fame. It won't be social media. It's going to be the Lord. Verse 47. Praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, look at the result. <coughs> Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Doesn't just say some days. Doesn't say Sunday. It says every day the Lord was saving people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you right now. Humbled at your word. Humbled at the early church. And how on fire they were for Jesus Christ. 
Heavenly Father, would you help us experience that fire tonight, this week, in 2020? (laughs) Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would supernaturally open up the heavens and send your spirit down in this room, that you would move in this room, that you would touch the hearts and the minds of these college students, that you would touch my heart and my mind because we believe you're real and we believe you're moving. Heavenly Father, we rebuke the devil from this place. The devil is a loser. He has no hold. We rebuke him in distractions. We rebuke him in discouragement. Father, he has no place here, and he's gone. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for anyone in this room who is hurting. God, I pray that you would be their peace. Not a speaker, not a building, none of that, God, but your supernatural spirit would be their peace and their healing tonight from whatever they walked in carrying. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we adore you and we need you. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Number one, very simple. We have to obsess over the word of God. If we want to see God continue revival here in Memphis, we have got to obsess over the word of God. I wish I had time to jump into everything here, but I had to cut my sermon down a lot last night and so or the night before. Number one, obsess over the word of God. I was talking with my wife on Saturday. Did you know that the Queen of England really doesn't have that much power at all, really? Did you know that? The Queen of England really doesn't have that much power. I was talking with my wife. The Queen of England, though, she, watch this. It's very simple. She, she holds the top position but doesn't actually have any real power. As I thought about that with my wife, I told my wife, I said, gosh, that's convicting. She said, why? Why is the Queen of England convicting you? I said, because a lot of times that's the Bible in my life. A lot of times the Bible holds the top position, but it doesn't actually hold any real power over me. I I elevate it up here, but then I do whatever I want to do with my time, my money, my schedule, my words. And I know that you do too. There's people in the room who are struggling with sin. They know that the Bible tells them that they need to repent from sin, but that the Bible just doesn't have that power over them to make them say no. But the Bible has to be an obsession. It's not part of our life. It's not part of us. It's our life. This thing has to be everything. This is everything we base our life on. Every decision we make has to come from the word of God. How many decisions have you made in your life that you didn't pray over and didn't go to scripture over? Every decision we make has to come from the word of God. Now, here in Acts 2, it's very different than the Queen of England concept. Very different. For them, these are early believers, Very early believers in their faith. The word of God has absolute authority over them. Now, in verse 42, it says that they were devoted. I told you a lot of translations say they continued steadfastly in the teaching of God's word. Watch this. The Greek verb communicating here is it's a Greek verb that's communicating that these early believers stayed on, watch, they stayed on one course. When it says they continued steadfastly, when it said they were devoted, they continued on one course, one direction, one goal. They were all moving in the same place. They weren't divided. They weren't, there wasn't some of them over here saying, I think we should do this. Some of them over here saying, I, well, I think we should do that. They were all heading the same way. And for you and your life as a Christian, let me challenge you. Are you going the same path as other believers or are you off doing your own thing? Because <laughs> that's a red flag. 
Because if we have the same mission, we should be going the same direction to get there. If we have the same goal, we need to be going the same direction to get there. But I think many times we see God's people, we see God's spirit moving in one direction, yet we're off getting distracted over here. We're off chasing this. We're off chasing that. And pretty soon we're not even going the direction of God's people. Then you get isolated. Then you fall off. You burn out. Are you going the direction of God's people? And I'll just ask you, man, these believers were tight. So tight that they didn't let the devil discourage and distract them. I'll ask you very straightforward, as straightforward as I can. How easily do you get distracted? Think about it. How easily? Because if I can be honest, a lot of college students come to me, and, man, I know that, I know this ain't going to be comfy. A lot of college students come to me, they say, Daniel, man, I struggle to read the word. Daniel, I, I struggle to do it consistently. I struggle to, to sit down in the morning and to read it. I don't open it. I don't know where to read. I, I try. I just don't get it. I have a lot of college students that come and say that to me. I ask them this question right here. Hits every time. I say, man, miss, when you try to read your Bible, one simple question. Where is this when you try to read? <laughs> Here's their response. Oh, it's in my lap. It's in my pocket. Or even, wor- or even worse, it's on the table side by side with my Bible. <laughs> Students, you're going to try to meet with the God of the universe and set the world wide web right beside it. <laughs> You realize what you have done. You have set the worst possible thing next to your word of God. Don't, don't, you might as well set a portal to another world. You just keep jumping into it. Like, oh, man, I'm in Hawaii now. What was I doing? Oh, I'm trying to meet with God, Yahweh. And so I tell them, I say, man, how do you expect to get in the word with this right there? And they look at me blank. I don't know. I ask them, how many times do you pick it up when you're trying to read your word? And then they think about it, and they realize that about every three verses they read, they're getting a notification. Dang, she just Snapchatted me. Oh, snap. <laughs> Hold on, God. <laughs> you know, they do this right here. <laughs> they don't even look at the camera like, I used to do that. I don't know. <clears throat> so I tell them, I say, listen. If you want to meet with the God of the universe, you're going to have to put this far away. I said, listen, you're going to have to turn this off and put it in another room. Never mind the fact that I know we can use this for good. Never mind the fact that this is really evil, the amount of sin that we get into because of this. But you want to set this right here. You might as well set the devil right next to your Bible. (laughs) Why do you think you keep getting distracted? You got the devil. Huh? What would you say over here? Huh? You're going to have to turn it off. And I tell college students that, and sometimes they look at me, and they're like, oh, I can't. I'm like, hold on, you can't turn off your phone to meet with God. I've looked at a college student before and said it, you didn't really want to meet with God. You wanted to meet with the world. You wanted to stay more connected to this world than you ever wanted to be connected to God. So hear me, I don't know who this is for, but in your quiet time, you really want to speak to God? You really want to hear from God? Take this device, turn it off, not do not disturb, people can still get to you. Turn it off, take it to another room, put it in a drawer, close the drawer, close the door, lock the door, put the couch in front of the door, and then sit down and hear from God. Can I make you a promise? If you do that, I promise God's going to speak to you. It's going to be amazing. You will learn things you never thought you could learn about God. 
You will learn how kind he is. You will learn how in control he is. You will learn how he created you in love, how he speaks to you every single day. But you got to put the devil device away. (laughs) Put it away. My wife just laughed that I said that devil device. (laughs) Hashtag devil device. Because if I'm on a date with my wife, and I'm sitting down with her at dinner, and every two or three sentences she says, I'm like, hold on, baby. Hold on, baby. How do you think that date's going to go? All jokes aside, if I can be real, there's not going to be any intimacy, and there's not going to be any realness. It's all going to be surface level. That's the reason you're quiet time surface level. I'm not getting on you. I'm in the same boat with you. I got to do the same thing, Kendall, the same thing. Every, every time I got to do the same thing. I got to close my laptop. I got to get away. I got to get away. Try it. I told you it's going to be straightforward tonight. <laughs> Try it. God will change you. You can't be divided. That's what the, and I don't want to get too off here, but that's what the devil's trying to do. He wants you to be double-minded. I wish I had more time, man. He wants you to be double-minded. He wants to put up a partition in your mind, like in churches and church classrooms where there's a wall that folds in, and then you can pull that folding wall out, and it creates one room and then another room. That's what he's trying to do in your mind. He's trying to create a God side and then an everything else side. That's why you can go to church on Sunday, worship, put your hands up, and then not think about God from Monday to Saturday. Because he's got that partition up. All your God stuff's on one side. The world's taking over on the other. Don't let yourself be double-minded. Whoever that's for, open up your mind to the Lord. These believers here in Acts, what's important to note is that most of them, the majority of them, are not veteran Christians. And I hate that we rank Christians. We have like this veteran. We have like this medium. We have like this rookie, depending on how long you've done it. But oftentimes, God doesn't even use veteran Christians to start revival. He is a new believers. Again, like we think we hit a certain milestone in our faith for God to do miracles. No, no. Look at this verse right here, right before the verse we read, Acts 2.41. It says, so those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. The majority of these people are new believers. They just got saved. They're on fire for the Lord. Fortunately for them, they didn't have a devil device. Yeah, it was a little bit easier than even for us today, distraction-wise. So for all the new believers in the room, let me encourage you. God can use you sometimes more than the veteran Christians. Don't you ever let someone put you down because you haven't been a believer for long. You know, a lot of the work God did in my life, a lot of the work he did through me was in the first six months I got saved. Man, I was on fire. I didn't know what I was doing now, but I was going. Like, I was pedaling, but I didn't know which way I was steering. But he used me. He used me because I was just hungry. He'll use you, new believers. However, I'm about to flip it and speak to the veteran believers here in a minute. They were on fire for Christ. I want you to look at this verse right here, Acts 5, 42. Again, in chapter 5, it says the same thing every day, not some days, not Sunday. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continue teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Every day, people got on fire for God's word. I mean, they were crazy about it. They wanted to hear a word from the Lord. They didn't want to hear a speaker. 
They didn't care what style, what format. They wanted to hear God's true word spoken boldly with conviction. That's what they wanted. They were on fire for it. When Paul was in Athens, lost souls became hungry for the word. They took him and brought him and said, look at what they said. May we learn about this new teaching you are presenting. How we should be in our college campuses is we should be teaching people the word so much that lost souls are coming up hearing it saying, man, what is that you're saying? Did you just tell that person that they could know the God of the universe? I talked to somebody today at campus ministry at U of M. I talked to this guy. His name was Alexander. I talked to him. I said, man, what do you believe? He said, I'm, a, I'm an agnostic. I said, okay, I would love to share with you. I, I talked to this guy. He said, man, there may be a God. I don't know. I looked him in the face. There's a Holy Spirit. I looked him in the eyeball. Nicest guy I'd ever talked to. I said, man, I've been where you've been. But what's changed in my life is that I get to know personally that God that you're wondering about. And he looked at me with the most sincere eyes. And he literally asked me, you're talking about the Bible. I said, yes. He said, where do I read? I said, man, go to the book of John, and you'll learn the whole story of Jesus Christ. You'll learn how Jesus came down and made visible that which was invisible. How God came down, Jesus came down and has revealed the glory of God. You don't have to wonder. (laughs) If you talk like that on campus, people will literally gravitate towards the light. They will gravitate towards you. Zach talked about it today at Campus Ministry. They literally, people are drawn to the goodness. They want out of the dark whether they'll admit it or not, but we got to be the ones that are showing the light. (laughs) That's the problem on our campuses. We ain't being the light, so the people in the dark don't know where to go. Do you come here on Mondays to just be a hearer of the word? Or do you come striving to be a doer of the word? Do you come to hear and learn, but not apply? Because I believe God brought you here to take this and apply it tonight. Is there anyone in your life, anyone, let me ask as straightforward as I can. Is there anyone in your life who is holding you accountable to Bible reading? Is there anyone at all? Is there, is there anyone at all asking you the hard question of, hey, are you reading this? And do you lie to them? Is there anybody at all? Because a Christian who has no accountability is like an airport without security. Anything's going to get through to the plane. For you, without accountability, anything's going to get through to your heart. Who's asking you? Because I'm a pastor, and i got to have another pastor on staff asking me if I'm reading the word. I take a picture. As the pastor, i got to do the same things you do. I take a picture of my quiet time, and I send it to a buddy every day. And days I miss, he asks me, hey, did you not read the word? Every day I send it to him. Have you ever sent a journal? Have you ever sent what God has been teaching you to somebody? It's one of the greatest joys in the world. You start doing that, not only do you learn what you're learning, you get to learn what your buddy is learning. You get double the hear journals. You get double the quiet time. But we don't like that, though, Constance. I know. I know you're uncomfortable. I know you don't want me to talk about accountability. But you need accountability. You need someone asking you the hard questions. Because there's many of you who are on fire and want to live out your faith, but you don't have accountability, you're hindered. You're going to be hindered. 
I put this out a while ago. I said a Christian who lacks accountability is a Christian who lacks ministry ability. <laughs> Always. Is there anyone asking you these hard questions? Because what you can do for God will always be hindered when you aren't spending real time with God. But when you're spending real time with God, it's hard for the devil to hinder what you can do for him. (laughs) I told you these were new believers, a majority of them. The reason they're so on fire is because the cross is not numb to them the way that it often becomes numb to us. Is the gospel numb to you? Because for a lot of us, if I can speak to the more veteran Christians, the ones who are more established, who have been doing this for a minute, that doesn't give us any more pedigree. Can I ask you, are you numb to Jesus coming down, dying on the cross for your sins, and then resurrecting again? Is your heart numb to that? Because oftentimes, when we have been doing this, we think we're so ahead of others that we get to chill and we get to relax. And as soon as we start chilling, other people catch up to us. And then it's the new believers who are leading the revival, not the veteran Christians as it should be. But God wants to use all of us. But you got to be in this. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you read it every single day. You're going to stumble. I stumble. But it means you try every day. You try Sometimes when I'm running late for work, if I oversleep, I read it on my phone. I Google it, I pull it up, and I read it, and I just slow down in my bed. Airplane mode, no notifications coming through, none. I just read right there. Sometimes I read. If I really miss, I'll read at midnight. I don't want to miss a time to hear from God. I want to fight for it. It matters to me. I want to be obsessed with this. Have you ever been obsessed with this before? It's the greatest joy in the light in your life. Have you ever looked at this and just said, man, this is the greatest thing in the world. Not only does this tell me who God is, it tells me who I am. <laughs> it tells you your purpose. Some of you walk around campus every week searching for a purpose. It's been right here in this book all along. Obsess over it. It's your life. It's everything. Without this, I am nothing. I am nothing without this. This is where revival comes from, right here, the word of God. I got to keep going. I wrote this down. It convicted me. I hope that it sits with you for a minute. Many Christians learn about. God bless you. Absolutely. I never not bless someone. (laughs) I wrote this down. It convicted me. I hope it sits with you a little bit. I hope you think about it. Many Christians learn about the Christian life more than they actually live out the Christian life. Again, I'm I'm not being mean to you. I'm talking to me. But this thing that we're doing, this Christian faith, is not just a philosophy. It's got to be a practice. We learn, we study. I just told you all the need to get in the word, but this word's got to push you to action. It's got to push you to get out there and share what you're learning with other people. And some of you are learning great stuff. You just haven't opened your mouth to share with anybody. I would love to hear what God's been teaching you. I'll be in the back. My wife would love to hear. Our staff would love to hear what God's teaching you. Try it. It's amazing. It's incredible. And some of the stuff I say, I'm going to repeat it so that I hope it latches with you long, long after you're in college. But remember, simple truth, the Bible is a cookbook. 
you're not truly using it until it's producing something good in you and through you. No one reads a cookbook without the intent to cook. Take this and live it. Number two, open up the heavens with prayer. <clears throat> number one, we have to obsess over the word of God. And number two, we have to open up the heavens with prayer. The two foundational things. I'm talking all about evangelism and discipleship, their core, but we can't evangelize and disciple if we're not in the word and praying. These are the two cores of your faith. If you ever want to know how you're doing in your faith, check those two things. How much do I pray? How much do I read? Open up the heavens with prayer. Now, when I was 14 years old, I can remember this like it was yesterday. It was 11 years ago. It was 2009. I was 14 years old. I had Justin Bieber hair. The girls went crazy over it. I was the man in middle school. I would brush it to the side. I'd wake up early in the morning to style it. I mean, I, I had it going on now. I spent the whole summer after my eighth grade year staying up late, playing video games. I know you ain't never done that before. Y'all all read the word all night. I played video games all night. I drank soda all night. My family, though, we were a little cheap on some stuff. We didn't have Dr. Pepper. We had Dr. Thunder. Yeah, we didn't have Dr. Pepper. We had Dr. Thunder. It's pretty good. Until I tasted Dr. Pepper, I was like, man, I've been missing out my whole life. <laughs> I've been drinking garbage, you know. <laughs> Dr. Thunder. I kept drinking Dr. Thunder the whole summer. At the end of the summer, man, I had a tragedy happen. I'm going to be honest with you. Joseph, I had a tragedy happen. I woke up at 4 in the morning with a pain like I ain't never felt. <laughs> I had a pain. I started screaming. Now, it's not like a pain like you sprained your ankle or something like that, right? Like, I'm not talking, don't think of like pain like, uh, ow. You know, pain like, oh, I'm going to need surgery. <laughs> like, something's off. And it was right here. I'm like, man, I'm in trouble. I hobbled in there, like dragging my leg. <laughs> you know, mom, <laughs> you know. And uh, I wake my mom up. And I'm like, mom, I got to go to the hospital. <clears throat> so we go to the hospital. They write my name down and all this stuff, and I ended up having a kidney stone. Anybody had a kidney stone before? Oh, my gosh. I'm in, like, the true minority. Am I the only one in here that's had a kidney stone? Thank you. Hallelujah. About to say, dang, how much soda did I drink? <laughs> I had barrels in my room. Uh, <clears throat> We're sitting in the waiting room, and I'm trying to see the doctor, and my mom leans, leans over, and, and like she, real softly, and she's like, Daniel? And I'm like, yeah, because I'm like visibly distraught, but I'm trying to hold it in. She's like, Daniel, the only way to see the doctor, you're going to have to start screaming. And I look at my mom, I'm like, what? You always tell me, use my inside voice. Screaming? Like, I'm in pain. I know I'm not dying. I don't have a knife in me, you know? Like, but she says, the only way to see the doctor, you're going to have to start screaming. And I was a shy kid. I didn't want attention. All right? Some of you are like, oh, ah, you know, like, ah, you know, I scream all the time. Anyway, I was a shy kid. And so I look around, I count the cost, and uh, I start screaming. And uh, I start going at it. Like, I'm holding my side. I'm rocking. Like, oh, help. My voice cracking. I'm 14. Help. Oh. Nurses are looking over. 
Is it that boy? <laughs> that Justin Bieber's in here. He's got a kidney zone. <laughs> OR number one. Uh, I start screaming. They take me in the room. They give me medicine. And uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Pass the kidney stone. Hallelujah. Pass the kidney stone. Ended up being okay. In this, though, I learned a, a simple truth. You're like, Daniel, where are you going? <laughs> Goodness gracious. I learned a simple truth. When you hear it, you're like, yeah, that does make sense. I learned a very simple truth. When I had a watch, watch, so important, the pain that I felt internally finally led me to cry out verbally. You understand that? It was the pain I felt internally. That led me to cry out verbally. And I want to apply this for a minute. I know there's people in the room who have pain internally tonight. Your parents getting divorced. Somebody stabbed you in the back. You got junk. You just walked in here carrying just junk. You got pain inside. I want to tell you a great truth. And I hope you don't forget it. Look at me. God will allow you to feel pain internally. Because oftentimes that pain internally will lead you to cry out to him verbally. And that's when you get to see the doctor. When you pray, when that pain inside of you, when that anguish inside of you, when that drives you to pray, you see the doctor. Healing comes. His name's Christ. He's a living, walking medical book. He heals you. He gives you peace. He's your friend. He's your comforter. He's your good shepherd. Is your provider when you cry out verbally. But until you cry out verbally, you're going to keep waiting in that. You're going to keep sitting in that waiting room. You're going to keep sitting there not knowing what to do. And if I can be honest, a lot of us don't cry out verbally because we don't have a pain internally. We don't care that lost souls are dying and going to hell. We don't care that family members are dying and going to hell. We don't care that we're struggling and in darkness. We're just like, well, this is how it's supposed to be. No, there's a better plan for your life. But you're not crying out verbally to God in prayer because you haven't developed that pain internally, that call to anguish that Paul felt when he prayed. You don't have it yet. I don't have it the way I want to. Until you get it, though, you won't cry out verbally. See, that's the beautiful part about this in Acts chapter 2. The reason they cried out in crazy, nasty prayer, the reason why they prayed like that is because they thought about other people besides themselves. We don't do that. They were thinking about other people. They were thinking about each other, how they cared if their friends were growing in sanctification. They cared enough to feel pain to pray for them. But we don't do that. They saw lost people in Athens dying and spending eternity in hell. And they didn't just brush it off. They look at our, and I don't want to put them on a pedestal, but they were on fire for the Lord. They look at our nation today and see some of the issues we're struggling with, some of the issues I've hit on when it comes to marriage, when it comes to life. They look at these issues. They feel a pain. We watch it on the news, and then we click the next channel. We don't have that pain. That's why we don't pray. You want to pray? Feel the pain God wants you to feel for other people. 
It can't just be about me, 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 me all the time. Again, I'm talking to you as much as I am to, to myself, but I've been sick all weekend. I'm fired up. I'm ready to preach. Listen, it can't just be about you. It can't just be about me. God's plan is bigger than that. He loves you. He created you. But the person sitting next to you right now, God loves them and wants them to know him as much as he loves you. For us, if we're in a good mood, okay, then I'll go share Jesus. I'll read my Bible. Things are going good for me. I guess I'll get into it. Man, that's the, that's, can you imagine Paul in the New Testament living that way? Things never went good for him. You realize you look at his life, his life looks miserable. He got stoned, he got tortured, he got beaten, he was shipwrecked. His life literally on the outside looked awful, yet he had the most joy we've ever seen. Because he had Jesus Christ, and he cared for other people. He said, yes, I may suffer, but these lost souls who are causing my suffer will hear about the gospel and will see God glorified. Have you ever rejoiced in your own suffering because other people will see God? Because I haven't enough. I want to. I want to live that way. It can't just be about you. It can't just be about me. I'm telling you, God's plan is far bigger than that for all of us. <coughs> we have to get outside of these throw-up prayers. These God bless me today, bless my family today, God bless everybody today. God feed everybody today. And God, thank you for the weather today. Amen. We need to pray crisis prayers. Say, Daniel, I'm not in a crisis. Are there people in your life in a crisis right now? Because if you look hard enough, you'll find them. You start praying crisis-like prayers, it's a little bit different. I know because your physical position changes. All of a sudden, you're not praying, standing up. You're praying literally on the ground, face down on your knees, pounding the floor because you're, you're praying out to God, wanting him to move. You're praying crisis prayers. You're not praying cute prayers. It's not about emotions, but when's the last time you cried in prayer? You're talking to the God of the universe who can do anything. When was the last time? Because as I said in my point, and I need you to remember this, please don't lose this. When you pray, God supernaturally opens up the heavens. You say, Daniel, how do you know that? At Jesus' baptism in Luke 3, if you will, look at the screen. Is that when all the people, look at this, <clears throat> when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. As he was, what? Say it again. As he was, what? Heaven, what? Keep going to the next verse. Look at this. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. I want you to write these three things down. When Jesus prayed, A, heaven opened to him. <coughs> when you pray, I believe that God will open up heaven to you. I believe you will receive supernatural power you could, did not have before praying. When Jesus prayed at his baptism, heaven opened to him. B, the Spirit anointed him. The Spirit came down like a dove, literally anointed Jesus. I believe that when we pray, the Holy Spirit literally comes down and anoints us. 
Everything we do for God has to be anointed by God. And see, God the Father spoke to him. The Father spoke to Jesus in this moment. How many of you want God to speak to you tonight? God bless you. Heaven opened, the Spirit anointed, and God spoke. That's revival. I wish I had more time to talk about fellowship with other believers and worship. But the two cores, when you obsess over God's word and when you pray to heaven's open, God will do something incredible. What's crazy, and I need you to lock in with me, I can remember not knowing how to pray at 21 years old. I can still remember not knowing how to pray. Four years ago, before I walked in this place as a student, before I was where you are now, I came in here just like a first-time guest. Just like a first-time guest. Walked through those two doors, scared out of my mind. Drove back and forth past the door eight times because I was scared to walk inside. Walked in the door. A week before that, I was at a public park. Broken. Because I didn't know how to pray. But I wanted to so bad. Have you ever been there before? Because it's hard to understand if you haven't. I wanted to talk to God, but nobody had ever taught me how. And I remember feeling so helpless. I remember feeling defeated because I was 21 and I didn't know how to pray. And what I started doing when I was a University of Memphis student, when I was where you are, I started praying. I started praying. I started praying like crazy. I prayed every single night out there at that park. I went every night to that park to pray because I was searching for my purpose. Some of you are walking around on campus every day searching for your purpose. I went there to pray every single night. Didn't know what I was doing. Looking up to the sky, just tossing stuff up there, hoping it would fix. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and what happened is it's crazy. You're not going to believe it. God started answering those prayers. Students, look at me. No man changed my life. This place is great. This place didn't change my life. It was a huge part of it. But prayer literally changed the course of my life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because I hope you feel it. I was nothing. I'm still nothing now. I had no one. If it wasn't for prayer, I never would have found a Christian community. I never would have found my best friends that I have right now. I never would have met my wife if I didn't pray. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. I'd be out in the world lost. But I started praying and God stepped in and changed my entire life. He literally picked me up and completely put a new song in my heart. I mean, he literally gave me a joy and a peace and told me I don't have to find my identity in social media. It doesn't matter how many likes I get. He told me it doesn't matter how many Snapchat streaks I have. He told me it doesn't matter the things I don't like in the mirror because my identity is not in the mirror. It's in who God says I am, and I'm just a mirror to reflect him. God literally changed my life. Have you experienced that? Have you felt that? Because I got to tell you, he will change yours. When you pray, when you pray, you'll see heaven open.
You'll have answers you never thought you could have. All those problems you got, you might not like the answer, but God has an answer for you. <clears throat> my team, me, Dakota, Jacob, Hannah Poe, my wife, Hannah, we believe in revival. You have a staff that is committed to revival. And what we're going to do starting tomorrow night is we're going to get a little crazy. We're going to get a little nasty in prayer. And all of you are invited to join us. Watch this. I need you to hear this. Tomorrow night, your college staff is going to start praying at University of Memphis every single night of the week. Every single night, 9 p.m. to 9.30. We're going to go there. We're going to fall down on the ground. We're going to pray for revival. We're going to pray to heavens open. We're going to pray the spirit now, and we're going to see God continue to do revival. And every single one of you are invited every single night, whether you're a Memphis student or not, to come there at 9 p.m. any day of the week and pray with us. We'll be there. We will be there praying. So do you believe? Do you believe God when he said revival is here? Because I believe. And I want you to join us, 9 p.m. every night. For many of you in the room, though, if I can be honest, and this is the most important part, please don't get distracted. Stay right here with me. For many of you, your prayer tonight is not a revival for the nation. That's important. That's not your prayer. For many of you, your prayer is not one of praying for even the city or the view. The prayer you need to pray is the prayer for yourself. The prayer that I prayed when I was 21. It wasn't the prayer that saved me, but it was my heart. That's your prayer. To repent of your sins. Repentance means you know you're doing bad. You know you're doing those wrong things. You're going in this direction. You repent. You do a 180. You turn away from sin. You say no to sin. You give it to God, and you start living for Jesus. Because the truth is, you're a sinner. And I am too. You repent. And then the Bible says you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. He said, Daniel, God can never save me. Romans says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He said, Daniel, I'm afraid. Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear for I am with you. You could get saved tonight if you're willing to say you're a sinner, you repent, and you believe that Jesus came down on this earth, died the death we should have died, And resurrected from the grave. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that tonight. If that's you.